Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. We open with my conversation with Yaakov Katz, editor of the Jerusalem Post. He was on right after the announcement by President Trump about the brand-new U.S. policy that Jerusalem would be recognized as the capital of Israel. Yaakov Katz of the Jerusalem Post on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, we love speaking with our next guest. Our next guest here at JM and the AM is the editor of the Jerusalem Post, and he is speaking to us live from Jerusalem on this Thursday morning. Yaakov Katz, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thanks, Nachum. Uh, you started with this story, or at least it's the first story that's posted on your website this morning. So I'll start with it because a lot of people around the world are certainly curious. Uh, Hamas leaders are calling for intifadas. We know that there have been uh, su- there's been some rioting in certain areas, and tomorrow, of course, is supposed- supposedly an official day of rioting. How would you classify the violent? response to yesterday's announcement by President Trump? Look, so far there hasn't been any violence, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm personally skeptical, although, you know, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to try to predict or be a prophet of, of what will happen, but I'm skeptical that we'll start to see something of a major scale, right? The Israeli Defense Forces have gone a bit on a heightened state of alert. They deployed some extra forces to try to contain whatever might break out in the West Bank, or tomorrow there's some concern around prayers at the Temple Mount, which we know is always a site of of some tension whenever there's some diplomatic issue, like what happened with uh, President Trump's announcement, historic announcement yesterday regarding Jerusalem. But what I will say is something more substantial, I think, which is that no government in the world and or people in the world should... uh, conduct themselves or conduct their foreign policy and make decisions of this magnitude based on threats by terrorist organizations, whether Hamas decides to now fire a barrage of rockets into Israel, or whether, you know, ISIS decides to try to carry out an attack somewhere, or whether there will be riots on the streets of Amman or Cairo or Ramallah or somewhere in East Jerusalem, is not something that we need to say, okay, because of that, this should not happen. This was the, the, the correction of a historic injustice and something right that was done, and this was the right thing that should be done. And therefore, even if these terrorist organizations make these threats, okay, we'll deal with it. We've dealt with it before. We'll continue to deal with them in the future. You know, you, you talk about a, a, a wrong being righted and what President Trump did yesterday in, in the way that he did it, especially with the uh, conviction that he did it, uh, was really so amazing. Uh, are, are people... The pro-Israel community here, you can imagine, is celebrating. I'm trying to lead that celebration. Are are people in Israel celebrating as well? Are you getting the feeling that there's a different atmosphere in Israel in light of the announcement by President Trump? Look, I'm I'm talking to you from Jerusalem. I'm a Jerusalemite. I woke up this morning. Did my city look different? It looked the same. It could still use a good street sweeping like it needs every day. But there is a sense, I would say, among even people who are were critics of the president. I myself have been critical of the, of the U.S. president, some of his policies and some of his statements in the Jerusalem Post, right? We've editorialized it at many occasions over the last year in, in, with some criticism against the president. But here was, it was, it was, a, was an amazing example of true leadership, of bold leadership, of uh, maybe to go as far as to say courageous leadership. And we have to tap our hat or tip our hat to, to, to him in recognition of that and say thank you. And I think that the vast majority of Israelis who I've spoken to on the left, on the right, in the center, uh, whether politicians or pundits or analysts, you name it, were all impressed by the speech that he gave yesterday, the conviction with which he gave the speech, the clarity with which he declared that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. There was no wish-washing. There was no West Jerusalem, East Jerusalem, this part, that part. It was a clear speech. It made a clear statement, and it was heard and resonated around the world, and that was what was most important. Yaakov Katz is with us, editor of the Jerusalem Post. Uh, Are you skeptical about the timeline when it comes to the move of the embassy? Uh, We know that he he expressed that it's going to take years to actually be completed. Many of us were hoping that he would symbolically call for, you know, a shingle to be hanged uh, on the consulate in Jerusalem and, you know, that immediately it would start to be recognized as an embassy, even if the staff and the entire, you know, machination wasn't in place yet. Uh, are you skeptical when, it's, when you see a timeline like that, especially one that's going to be guided by the State Department, that maybe that embassy really won't be built in Jerusalem? 
Look, Nachum, n- nothing was nothing's built in a day, and you know, a sign would be nice. It would be symbolic. It would be you know a nice photo op. But I think that if if they really move ahead with this plan, and even if it takes three years, four years, five years, right, to ultimately have the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, uh, a, a new one built especially for this city, is something of greater significance. I think that the the speech itself is of amazing significance. And the way I view it is it sends three messages to three different parties. The first party it sends a message to is to the Palestinians, which is basically this illusion that Jerusalem does not belong to Israelis, does not belong to the Jewish people, is, 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 is wrong, is false. And the, the, this attempt on behalf of some parts of the Palestinian people to use terrorism to defeat Israel, to take away Jerusalem, is ultimately doomed to fail. That's message one, and that's an important message. Message two is to the rest of the world, but most importantly, I think, to the European Union, which has long stood against Israel on these issues, and it's to say to the European Union, you are in the wrong, America now is in the right, we are divided on this issue, and America today stands with Israel more aligned than ever before in recent history. And the third party that it sends a message to, I believe, is to the Israeli people. And that is that the, Isra- that the American government, the American people, have Israel's back in a way that it hasn't had in a very long time. Now, we all know that there's no such thing as a free lunch. So what this also can mean is that somewhere down the road, when the Green, Black, Kushner, Friedman group present their peace plan that they've been working on with a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and with great detail, I'm, I'm understanding that this plan has breaks down core issues into great details, hundreds of pages and documents, right? When they present this plan somewhere down the road and they say to Israel, okay, what's your answer? Israel will be find itself in a very difficult situation to say no to a plan presented by an administration that has given it such an amazing historic gift. So, you know, th- that message is also geared to Israel with an eye on the future and the longer term of when this plan is actually presented. Well, that's a piece of news to us is that, uh, in your opinion, or based on what you know, there definitively is a plan in the Greenblatt Kushner Friedman pocket at the moment. And <laughs> as I think you've just alluded to, for some of us, that sounds like good news, and for some of us, that sounds like not such good news. I mean, you know, it, it, look, it all, it all, the, the, everything will be in the details, right? So what does that plan contain? I do not know. But from talks that I've recently held and, you know, with, with people who are in the know, this plan does contain great detail about some of the core issues, including about Jerusalem, by the way. The, the statement that President Trump made last night, he himself said, this does not change anything about you know what might come out of the negotiations if the sides decide that a two-state solution is the way to move forward. And if Jerusalem is to one day become part of the equation there, okay, that, that's a possibility. Right. But, and that will be for the sides to decide, ultimately. But you know, like on the issue of Jerusalem, they have they have great detail. They've broken these issues down into a into a plan. Whether it's ready yet to be presented, whether it is prepared for implementation, that's something that still obviously we're not there yet. But I think that we should take this very seriously. This is an administration that is very determined to make progress on the Israeli-Palestinian issue. Uh, they're working on it with, with a lot of effort. They're investing a lot of diplomatic and political capital into it. You know, we had the president who visited here and made a historic trip in May. We have the vice president who's coming here, I think it's, what, next week or the week after. Mm -hmm. Just in a few days, he'll be here for a couple of days. You know, I don't think you've seen that type of... the, that, that, that frequency of visits, of trips, of, of investment, of effort, of, of talk uh, about this single issue like we're seeing right now. And, and that says something. So I wouldn't say that, you know, we're in the clear for those who might be concerned about a plan, if that's where you are or someone else's, but the, 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 they are definitely very focused on, on this issue. Yaakov Katz, editor of Jerusalem Post. All right, a couple of more things, if you don't mind. First of all, and you have American roots, you can relate to this. Uh, there's, there's some resentment in this country, I would say, uh, to those Jewish government officials. I, sh- I should say it this way, to especially to those who are Jewish uh, government officials, but others as well, who have supported Israel tremendously in Congress over the years and who recently, within the last year, have voted overwhelmingly uh, for the Jerusalem to be recognized as the capital, uh, possibly even uh, the embassy move. I'd have to look at the details to, to see if that vote uh, was recent in the Senate and, uh, and House itself. And then these same members of the United States Senate uh, and the House, some of them, 
some of them being Jewish, um, expressed their dissatisfaction and uh, an opposition to what President Trump did yesterday. How do you view um, how do you view that, that uh, especially the Jewish government officials, but those who have been supposedly in Israel's corner all this time changing their mind this week? Look, you know, the, the politics is always going to be a major player in, in, in a lot of these different things. You know, uh, there are people even on the Israeli political scene, right, who look at this and, you know, definitely some analysts and some pundits who use it as an attempt to try to bash the prime minister in Israel. Um, and I would say that he deserves a lot of credit as well for what's happened here, right? You know, it, yes, it's true that this is something that President Trump has decided, but it was Prime Minister Netanyahu who was able to get President Trump to decide that, right? And so, you know, th- 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 there's some credit that, 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 that he deserves for it. But I would put that aside as political um, noise. I think ultimately the more substantive issue here is, is the decision itself, the declaration itself, and the potential later move at a later date of the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Uh, if he was going to do it, uh, have you thought of this one uh, in the aftermath of yesterday's speech? If he was going to do it anyway and he was ready to, uh, uh, to announce the move to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, um, have you asked yourself why he didn't just do it on day one? Um, you know, earlier in 2017, at the very beginning of his administration, I think there was a you know, from what I know at that time in in uh, period when he was just taking office, there was even there were some rumors, at least that I was hearing from a number of different sources at the time, just around the, that weekend of the inauguration, that he would make the decision immediately, right? Um, that didn't happen. Then came the waiver of uh, of June, which he signed, right? right? And, and, and people, there was a lot of build-up till then, and I think, you know, there was, there was some hope within even some parts of his, in his administration that he would, he would not sign the waiver. He ultimately did sign the waiver, and I think that it made sense for a president who was just getting his bearings and an administration that was, had just entered office a few months earlier. Uh, we're trying to figure out where things stood, and we, we're, we're kind of putting everything. This is a very complicated chessboard, the, the Middle East and especially the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So they were just trying to figure things out. But I think that now, a year into everything, was an opportunity for him to be able to maybe make a more uh, reserved but also calculated decision. You know, people, I'm hearing a lot of people who are lamenting the death of the peace process. And my right. question is, what peace process exactly are you talking about? <laughs> when was the last time Israel's prime minister met with the Palestinian president? When was the last time their negotiations team sat down with our negotiations team? So unless there's something I don't know and, and, and you know, I tend to know if there's some peace process that's happening. There is no peace process right now. So, you know, if, if for 20-something years since the Oslo Accords, we've tried, and, and Nahum, you, you, you know, we've spoken many times before. You read my stuff. I'm in favor of, 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 of peace with the Palestinians. Correct. Personally, in, in the Jerusalem Post editorial line, we support a two-state solution. Ultimately. Correct. I know many of your viewers might be upset with me for that. You, you, you're listening, you, sorry. You, t- but, you took heat for it at the Mizrahi event back in May. Yes, but but I will say is that with that, for 24 years since we signed the Oslo, since Yitzhak Rabin signed the Oslo Accords with Yasser Arafat and Bill Clinton at the White House in 1993, where are we? We haven't moved forward. So you banged your head against the wall for 24 years, and you haven't succeeded in moving forward. If you know, I think the president probably thought to himself and is thinking to himself. For 24 years, they tried one model. It didn't work. Right. This changes the model. This could potentially bring peace. This could, this, because of what I said before, this shatters the illusion that Jerusalem does not belong to Israel. Right. The Palestinians need to wake up. They need to realize that the time is not on their side, and that this is a president who is not ashamed to say that he stands with Israel. Right. So if I'm in the Palestinian Authority today, I'm nervous. Maybe I'll threaten. Like, they are a little posturing to try to play it tough, but I'd be shaking because I'd be concerned what's next and how do I ensure that if I really do want peace, and all indications are that they don't want it, let's not delude ourselves, but if they really do want peace and they really do want statehood and they really do want to separate from Israel, then they have to get their act together and start to take this a little more seriously. Yaakov Katz, editor of Jerusalem Post. By the way, Yaakov, last week we spoke with Gidon Saar, made quite an impression on this audience. Is he still the odds-on favorite, according to Israeli media, to be the next prime minister of Israel? Uh, to be the next prime minister of Israel might be a bit jumping it for the time being, but he definitely is, is polling very high as a potential successor to Benjamin Netanyahu as the leader of the Likud. So if Netanyahu 
would, for one reason or another, the, the, the investigations against him or some other political scenario have to leave the stage uh, and no longer be chairman of the Likud, all polls show that Gidon Sa would become the next chairman of the Likud, and that if he was the chairman of the Likud and there were elections based on the current parties, although with him as chairman, he would actually potentially win those elections. So he's right. definitely uh, uh, someone who needs to be watched, is a serious guy, has a lot of experience. I just spent a couple days with him at a, at a conference in Washington. Um, he, is, he, he definitely has a lot of experience under his belt. He would, he's one of, uh, I see several people who I see on the arena who are qualified, and I think, to become a future Israeli prime minister. But, uh, but there's still some time till that were to happen, and it would have to include, again, Netanyahu departing the stage that he's held for so long. Yaakov, we love your analysis. Thank you so much. Shabbat shalom to you, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Nachum. All the best. Yaakov Katz, editor of Jerusalem Post. That was my conversation with Yaakov Katz, the editor of the Jerusalem Post. Here on JM Rewind. Coming up next, Dr. Stuart Ditchick visited us recently. He heads the uh, Kids of Courage organization. Had a lot to say about a wonderful event going on in Phoenix at the beginning of January and uh, some of the important research that has been done that he's been working on uh, vis-a-vis the Jewish community. Uh, Dr. Stuart Ditchick with us recently on JM the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. One of our great friends is in studio this morning to uh, help us remind people in our community about a very important event going on in a very, very good weather area. And you'll know what I mean in a moment. Um, Dr. Stuart Ditchick is here. Dr. Ditchick, of course, leads uh, Kids of Courage. We had the privilege this summer of being with them on their Shabbaton down in Virginia. It is one of the most amazing and incredible organizations and efforts you've ever seen or experienced in your life. I know we always... We always say about a lot of different things in our community that you have to see it to believe it. But in this case, you really have to at least once attend a Kids of Courage event, a weekend, a ski trip, a um, a, uh, a marathon, a half marathon, whatever the case is, just to see uh, what the staff and volunteers of Kids of Courage do for people in really difficult medical situations. And coming up, as we introduce Dr. Dietrich, coming up in January is the next opportunity to do something very special with Kids of Courage. Dr. Stuart Dietrich, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you here. First of all, how fitting you and I have had a kinship regarding the city of Jerusalem since the day we met. How fitting that you're here today when we're all anticipating this great news. You, you cannot make this stuff up. I mean, when, when I heard yesterday about the upcoming announcement, that was the first thing that came to mind, that I'm going to have the privilege of being here today and, and your support for Yerushalayim and, and our you know our mutual ties you know between our families and Yerushalayim. And I had lived there for a, a period of time uh, way back in you know the early 2000s. During the during the second intifada, right? And uh, remember, you insisted on making the bar mitzvah there during the second intifada when we, nobody was traveling to nobody. Israel. Nobody. If you remember, the hotels in Yerushalayim yep. were three quarters. We had closed the down. whole place. We to had the whole place. We had the Inbal <laughs> Hotel to ourselves. And, you know, everything was closed from the fifth floor up That's or the right. fourth floor up. And and look at it today. Today, you know, Baruch Hashem, Yerushalayim is thriving, and this announcement that's coming up is just. The most incredible news. And you, I'm sure you loved what I said, that if you see the New York Times being this apoplectic, apoplectic you know it must be great news for Israel. Oh, <laughs> a- absolutely. But, you know, the, in, the the flip side is that the media puts everybody at risk when they act apoplectic. That's yeah. the irony of it, that the media is supposed to be there to inform and to, and to keep people safe, essentially, yep. let people know what they're doing by... This apoplectic response is feeding the anti-Israel frenzy, and I, I hate saying anti-Israel. It's anti-Semitic. Right. You know the hatred. One and the same. Right? Yeah, it's one and the same. Right. The hatred for Israel is a hatred for the Jewish people. Well, in this month of miracles, as Hanukkah approaches in less than a week, we are uh, anticipating this big miracle today, where we could tell our children that you don't have to look back to the Six Day War or to Partition Plan or Balfour Day or anything else today. Chai Kislev, December 6, 2017, is an important day that you are living through in modern Jewish history. Dr. Ditchik is here because of the amazing work that's being done with Kids of Courage. I mean, my gosh, 
we have not. I don't think we've had a chance in the post the Shabbaton this summer to even discuss this on the air yet. But I witnessed uh, an effort by your staff and volunteers that is simply remarkable because they are doing such difficult work and helping in such difficult situations and all with a massive smile on their faces. It's yeah, just we, unbelievable. We were so privileged to have you and Stacy for Shabbos this year in uh, in Virginia when we were on our uh, Virginia, D.C. summer trip, which, as you know, is an incredible success. Yeah. Uh, and usually does not happen on the East Coast, so it gave us a chance to be yeah, there. Yeah, it was close to home, yeah. and uh, it, it was incredible as always. But it, it, the organization would not exist without the support we get from the communities we serve and from the volunteers that we serve, and quite frankly, from the families that we serve. We get so much from the kids, as you know, uh, and uh, there's just not enough time in the day to provide everything they need. And quite frankly, uh, the needs now are greater than ever, unfortunately, as you know from what you see in the Jewish world. Now, um, there are there are young people, some a bit older, who attend Kids of Courage, who are who are in medical circumstances that are unlike what most people are used to when it comes to difficult medical circumstances, meaning these cases, can we use the word extreme or would that be a... Yeah, no, and many of them, not all, but many. Right, many of them are extreme medical circumstances that frankly, many, including many in the medical community, might recommend that the best thing for these patients would be to live a, a calm serene daily existence in their own homes in a comfortable atmosphere being cared for, you know, 24 hours a day, essentially. And that would be it. Dr. Stuart Ditcher comes along with kids of courage and says, you know what guys, if you want to ski or if you want to run, or if you want to, I don't know, a a skydive or if you want to that one we haven't done yet but we'll get there. (laughs) Or if you want to go down one of those Alpine slides, or if you want to do any of this stuff, Unlike the general atmosphere out there where, you know, caution is king these days and where doctors are hesitant to recommend that a patient undertake this type of activity because of the potential, you know, uh, criticism and certainly financial problems that might occur because, you know, everyone's looking to sue everybody these days. You come along and you say, if you want to do any of this stuff, let's go. Let's do it. We have the volunteers and staff to help you. Let's go and have a good time. Yeah, I mean, you know, thank God we've been given the opportunity to to break the mold. And you're, you know, what kills more than any disease is boredom. When a patient is going through, or when a child or a young adult is going through an illness or a disability, boredom becomes the killer. Boredom becomes the endpoint of most people's lives. And look, at it, it holds true for people who are aging. Uh, what we've eliminated is the boredom aspect of, of life because not only going on the trips and going on the events, right. but the, the connections that the kids make with the staff uh, that lasts for years and years. We have staff who've been married years already and who have their own children who are still hosting their campers for Shabbos or taking them out for a meal at night. So it's really the long-term relationship. But when you ask, people have asked me when we started uh, – Howie Kafka uh, and I were talking about this. He's actually my partner who's right. in Israel now. He's in Yerushalayim today. Oh, but, lucky man, Howie. Uh, he is, he, he's uh, visiting his son in Eretz Yisrael who's nice. there as well. But uh, Howie and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, that when we started out, I remember we had to go to a couple of select donors. We needed money to get started. And one of the very prominent donors said to me, why bother? You know, really, what are you, maybe we should invest it in research. Maybe we should invest it in medication, some, you know, something concrete. Mm-hmm. And I said, the reason you bother is because you want these kids to live long and fruitful lives, period. That's why you bother. If the kid wants to do it, they should be allowed to do it, and they should be encouraged to do it if they choose to. And what we're seeing with a lot of the illness that we deal with now is it's it went from certain aspects life threatening to now more chronic conditions which are treatable medical care is getting better in the united states all over the world gene therapy is on the horizon for a lot of the diseases that we entertain and quite frankly i've said this for years if you can keep folks alive long enough in good enough shape 
cures will be around the corner. I'm not saying that everybody right. is going to be cured of their disease or their disability, but they are living longer and better lives, and we're witnessing it, and I think we have a little to do with it. Dr. Stuart Ditchig is here, Kids of Courage. By the way, you mentioned when you know volunteers and your staff take uh, take kids to their own home for Shabbos. That means really transforming their home into a completely different type of environment and a lot of equipment and a lot of regimen in terms of you know medications etc plus all very often they're going to be up all night in certain situations yeah and it's equipment it's responsibility it's time you know that they have to dedicate before the the child comes over Uh, i mean well let's put it in frank terms we have the ski trip our annual ski trip coming up in in january to mount snow we've been doing this for years already the ski trip uh the first year we had the ski event i had to contact the company that makes portable ventilators, LTV ventilators, uh, to ask them how we would possibly uh, have a ventilator function. It was in that year, it was, it was uh, many years back, it was freezing. It was negative 15 at the top of the mountain. Yeah. And I wanted to know, it was a cold spell. I called the owner, uh, not the owner, the maintenance people from the company, and I said, will this ventilator work at that altitude <laughs> and temperature? And they hung up the phone. I promise it's a true story. The, the, uh, the regulatory person hung up the phone and said, this is a gag. Uh, when I called back a second time, they took it more seriously. And, and we take kids on ventilator skiing. We take kids who are, have trachs and ventilators jet skiing. Uh, you know, it's yeah, yeah. My my skydiving thing was not that far off, frankly. No, well, you know. they want to do it. Right. I don't. <laughs> Honestly, you're the one who's scared. Oh, I ain't going. That's in one why of those. you don't go on the roller coaster at the amusement no, no, park. No, no. Huh? I'm in the rear with the gear. You know, doing what I do best, which is finding a place to crash and finding my dipping dots. That's what I do when they're out there. So. <laughs> Uh, but I, I will tell you one thing. It seems like amusement park solves all. It seems it solves the boredom problem. It solves the lack of excitement problem. And yeah. and that's just one of the aspects of the summer Shabbatons that the kids went to an amusement park and had a blast over there. Yeah, so. it's uh, we were at the FBI Academy. Right. We were at the White House. Right. So can you imagine? We were 400 people on a private tour of the White House. Now, that was, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> that was more challenging <laughs> right. than anything we've ever done because of the security clearances. And we, the machines and uh, the equipment. The huh? equipment. And we now have uh, a whole group that comes from Israel. We have a branch right. in Eretz Israel now. So we had 30 Israelis with us who had to be cleared quickly right. through Secret Service pre-clearance. I'm telling you, the White House was the biggest <laughs> challenge we've had. Now that's an amusement park. <laughs> yeah. It was incredible. But, the, you know, the the kids were welcome there and uh, and and... The FBI Academy was one of the highlights, as you know. Right. It was just, it's, you know, it's just hundreds of these experiences. But at the end of the day, and we can talk about, you know, my partner in the marathon, although there's a rumor we may have another walking partner now <laughs> named Nachum Siegel who may be doing the half marathon with us. But, but if I would do it, I would never be more brisk than a brisk walk. I would never run any no, part of it. Nachum, I know there's a radio, but do you see me? Are you looking at this? <laughs> You're also a walker? <laughs> well, I'm, I am a walker. I, I, well, last year, Avi and I, we've been doing this for a few years together. Uh, just to let folks know, Avi Davidson is, is my uh, marathon partner who is a young man from Tampa, Florida, who uh, had a serious electrocution injury when he was younger. Right. Uh, he lost one arm. He's paralyzed from the chest down. And Avi's remarkable. He's he's in college. He's works. He's going to be going to grad school. That's what it's all about. It's about mm-hmm. the independence that the confidence it's created from being part of. And he'll be in Phoenix. Uh, he will be in Phoenix with us. We were in Miami together. We've been in Bermuda together. We were in Bahamas together. Uh, Avi and I last year did the half marathon in Miami. If for those of you who weren't there, it you know of all the days it was. 45, 52 degrees the morning of the marathon with rain, mm-hmm. and Avi's adaptive uh, 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 prosthetic arm broke, which helps him push his wheelchair oh. on the first mile. It cracked, oh. which means I had to push him for the 13 and a half miles. So you can, I can tell you there was no running going on. Uh, it was challenging. It, we were exhausted. But I have to tell you, it was the greatest Kiddush Hashem I've been a part of in a long time. I, I, I can't emphasize to you the kindness that was shown by people around us because they saw us struggling with the weather and with the, the handles on the on the wheelchair that were slipping off every 30 seconds and the rain and, and the cold. And people just could not stop offering 
help and assistance and support. And uh, we had a blast. I'm t- 13 and a half miles. It took us, I don't know, three hours, something to do. Uh, we stopped for breakfast. Okay, granted, <laughs> it wasn't that serious a run. <laughs> but uh, it was the greatest experience. I was invigorated by it for the whole year. And uh, it's it. We have the greatest time. We just walk and and schmooze and observe people and make fun of ourselves and make fun of others <laughs> in, in a in a friendly capacity. And that's what it's all about. All right, let's do two things. First of all, there are a lot of people listening right now who might even tune out in the next few minutes as they go to work, school, etc. Who want to support Kids of Courage? What's the easiest way to do that on the web? So there's two ways for the marathon. Uh, it, we would love for you to support. <clears throat> Avi, myself, and uh, and Nachum, maybe. Is there a, is there a team name? Yes, or is there... so it's it's raceforcourage.org, raceforcourage.org. Okay. And if you go to the sponsor sheet, and it's right on the face sheet, you can go to Dr. D and Avi, uh, and soon Nachum, and uh, you can support us. Uh, but it's raceforcourage.org. Go you know, to I'm, a really Dr. Bo- D and Avi. I'm a really boring conversationalist off the air. I don't know if you can walk with me for 13 <laughs> miles, and you're going to find it interesting. I don't know. Well, put it this way. We'll have one more person to make fun of on the trip there you <laughs> go oh my gosh you guys have already raised some money you're you're on your way you're yeah we just we just started but dr d and yeah. avi davidson it's right there and yeah. uh, they've got their goal they've yeah. already raised yeah. some money yeah. last year avi and i raised over i think it was over twenty six thousand dollars by cow. the end of the race thank god holy cow and for those of you who want to support kids of courage the rest of the year you can go to kidsoc.org k-i-d-s-o-c.org uh, and we need your help. And and by the way, Nachum mentioned the ski weekend in right. January. We welcome donors coming for Shabbos. Right. You'll have not only a beautiful weekend uh, skiing Sunday at Mount Snow, but we'll be in Springfield, Mass. at the Sheridan with five-star catered meals and, and entertainment. And you get to spend the whole weekend with 65 of the most courageous people you'll ever meet in your life. And you get to sponsor the event and yes. have a lot of fun. yes. All right, um, so it seems that the Dr. D and Avi Davidson page is going to include me at some point as well, at least according to Dr. Ditchick. <laughs> so I'm going to encourage everyone to use that um, eraser, that uh, that uh, profile, uh, to support the race. So go to raceforcourage.org and feel free to, uh, well, in all seriousness, feel free to sponsor any racer. Um, but uh, we'd be thrilled if you sponsored ours. And, um, and this is happening. So you're doing... You're doing Phoenix and in the same month doing Massachusetts? Yeah, we're doing Phoenix. Actually, the week after. The uh, the way it works. Two Shabbatones in a row? Two Shabbatones. Are there any kids of courage that will be at both? Uh, yes, wow. there are. There are. Actually, there are. Uh, those will be at both. The, wow. the, the marathon is a fundraiser weekend. Right. And we, we, by the way, we never have an event, even a fundraiser, where the kids are not part of it. Right. So we always take along a critical number of kids, including to the Arizona, the Phoenix uh uh, event, which, by the way, people are welcome to join us for as well. We're going right. to be in Phoenix for the weekend. Again, fully catered, beautiful weekend. Uh, but um, the following weekend, we're going to uh, Springfield, Mass. for Shabbos, and then to Mount Snow on Sunday for our annual ski weekend. Uh, this year, it came out back-to-back because, quite frankly, we're at the mercy of uh, the adaptive ski instructors who are very generous to Kids of Courage and Mount Snow. Uh, we, When we ski, we ski with 60-plus individuals who need adaptive ski support, which means specialized equipment, specialized instructors, kids who have a lot of equipment on the slopes. So we can't really pick our weekends, and that was the only weekend they had available. Where And by the way, it's the biggest adaptive ski event in the world annually. It, it, It is a record every year. And if people go to your main website, they could sponsor and get information about yes. being there in yes, Massachusetts. Yes, absolutely. And we welcome you to come. We want people to join us. We're proud of the kids. We're proud of our staff. We're proud of our volunteers. And we want you to come be part of it. It's not depressing. You know, Nachum was there. He, he can oh, elaborate. It's, it's phenomenal. It, it's anything but depressing. And, and by the way, this may seem like a really unusual point to make, but I'm going to make it anyway. A lot of times donors and sponsors go to these types of weekends and they feel a certain pressure or, you know, or, or that they have to be part of certain programming. Literally here, all you're asking is people to go and observe. Go observe. Absolutely. You want people to vacation. You want people to enjoy it. Vaca- go to the lectures you want to go to. Go to the meals you want to go to. Like You just want people to come and yeah, enjoy we, the whole environment. We, we, the truth be told, we pay very little attention to the donors right. at our events. And uh, you're serious about that. I am. On and, purpose. And, yes, right. and, and I apologize for that in right. advance, but we have bigger priorities on these weekends. Right. The priority for the medical staff 
is to keep the kids safe. The priority for the counselors is to keep the kids entertained and happy. And we don't have, uh, we don't spend, we're, we're lousy fundraisers. <laughs> we, we really are. <laughs> but we're not the biggest fish in the sea, but we're definitely the most effective one in the sea. And that's the way we are at the events. You know, we love people coming, but we're there for you to be part of the event, not to be catered to at the right. event. 100%. And uh, people are invited to be part of it, and they should take advantage of it. Uh, if you are a runner, you got Phoenix, the marathon. Weekend of uh, January the twelfth, uh, I believe it is. Uh, yeah, mistaken. January the eleventh. Yes. January eleventh, and, and of course the Massachusetts ski the weekend. big ski trip, and, and that and, happens the week after. And we will be having—I can't announce it yet—but a very exciting announcement about the summer trip this year. But uh, we never release that until we're firm and all the plans are in shape. And I promise I'll come back. You know, and on the Nachum Siegel show to announce this year's special summer trip and the summer trips and really all the trips that require um, a specialized travel. You work with bus companies that are very accommodating. You work with airlines yes. that are very accommodating, which is these days it for, sounds for, crazy. For you know? domestic travel, we've worked with uh, for years with United Airlines. Yeah. Uh, we charter a seven sixty seven typically to make sure all the sickest or most needy kids are on the same flight. Uh, oddly enough, in all the years we've been doing it, nine years, and many, many flights all over the country, and even outside the United States, we were in the Bahamas and Bermuda, uh, we've only had one emergency in flight that needed diversion to a nearby airport, and it was for a flight attendant who got sick oh. on the flight. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> who got very sick on the flight, and we, we took care of her. Thank God we had physicians, paramedics yeah, on the plane. Yeah, that's one thing you have on the plane. There's yeah. a lot of physicians. <laughs> oh, so and we, we landed urgently in Atlanta, Georgia, on the way back from Texas with this very slick, sick flight attendant uh, who was, you know, she'd been uh, struggling with right. certain issues for a while, a very lovely person who we've been with for years. And when we got to Atlanta and the paramedics from the airport met us at the gate, we had her fully, you know, prepped and right. treated and taken care of. And we even gave them instructions on which hospital we wanted her to go to because we we checked that out in advance during the flight, uh, and they were looking at us. Whoa, what, what's going on here? You guys, this is a commercial airliner. <laughs> and I said, "Come on!" Then the paramedic came on, took a look around, and she sees the ventilators, suction machines, oxygen, uh, all kinds. All of- the stuff none of us are allowed to bring on a plane. Exactly, everything you don't bring. And and the paramedic who initially came on with a bit of an attitude, after she walked off the plane, she looked at me. She said. Boy, you guys ain't playing, are you? <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> that is great. Um, all right, so that's the story, everybody. Uh, raceforcourage.org, Phoenix Marathon coming up. Support a runner and uh, be part of the Kids of Courage experience. Kidsoc.org, right? Kidsoc.org. Kidsoc.org is a general website. Yeah, information. And we're on Facebook and Instagram as well, Kids of Courage. Yeah. And uh, please, you know, your, come. Your staff and volunteers are very active in social media. They're, they're very and, proud of the work and, they and, do. And we're proud of them. They're, they're, these are 18 to 25-year-olds who are the, the most amazing young people. I've been watching them grow. And by the way, within the organization, you know, we're a, a, a co-ed but separate program. Right. We have separate buses, separate sides of the dining room. We've had 57 Shaduchim in-house <laughs> for Kids of Courage in nine years, Mazel people tov. who met. And the most recent one was one of, uh, one of our logistics team uh, who met one of our nurses on the trip, uh, uh, are, got engaged, and the VART is this Sunday night. Mazel tov. Uh, and uh, that's the latest one. So, you know, it's just incredible that, that the bracha that comes when we have the privilege of being around these kids. It's just, it flows. Well, one thing you know about those future families, there'll be a lot of chesed in them, that's for sure. That, you know, these, I, I think every one of these volunteers and every one of these kids will, they'll absolutely outdo anything we can ever have done. My, you know, my chesed life started late in life, relatively. Uh, I wasn't interested in this stuff when I was 18, 19 years old. And that's the lesson for everybody, you know, that you don't, you, you don't have to start it at any particular age. You can start at any point and really achieve. And uh, for me, when I was 18, 19 years old, I was interested in education and college and hockey and, and girls and anything that was not important uh, to me right now. All, all those things are important, minus the girls, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but, I, you know, it, it really, I have to give credit to my wife who pushed and continues to push us, all of us, to continue to do this stuff. My wife, Ruby, uh, she's the influence behind everything uh, that I do. 
And every time I want to give it up and just throw my hands up, she looks at me, she says, okay, just, you know, you can wilt away and waste your days or you can do something that'll be around for thousands of years. And that's, that's what I choose to do with her. Dr. Stuart Ditchick is here at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard and listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app, RaceForCourage.org. Last topic, because it's rare that we get you here, and I'm so glad you're here this morning. And uh, a big thank you to you. You've been an amazing member of the Siegel family for a long, long time. You always joke with me that the Siegel kids are the only kids in your thousands of kids' practice who complain they're not tall enough. Right. right? <laughs> they're the only ones. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I, I literally have to get them out of the waiting room because the jealousy factor from the other kids who are struggling to get another inch in life, uh, it's just amazing. But they're not only the tallest kids in the practice, they're also incredibly uh disciplined and kind and courteous and half the time these days they come alone because they're right. older they're older yeah. and they're they're just uh, every time they come i spend very little time doing medical care and a lot of time just schmoozing <laughs> with them because they're great kids <laughs> thank you doctor uh the reason i bring this up is we, we as parents have become very familiar over the decades already with some of your positions on medical issues and i i don't want you to leave here today without giving us an update about the situation with inoculations and vac- vaccinations. I guess they're one and the same, right? Yeah. Um, there was a period of time, and I'm curious if it still exists, where there was a strong effort in the Jewish community, a group of people behind a strong effort in the Jewish community to encourage people not to vaccinate. Has that gone away? No, it has not. It has only gotten uh, more Stronger? vocal. Wow. Uh, they're losing, Bar Hashem. They're losing because a lot of the yeshivas have taken the very appropriate position that they need to protect children by not allowing vaccine refusers into schools. I happen to be in agreement with that, and and to a certain extent I'm assisting a lot of the yeshivas in that effort. But they are, unfortunately, the Internet has created a great avenue for misinformation about vaccinations. We had in the Flappish community just one month ago, less than a month ago, uh, there was a parent in uh, one of the yeshivas who was the, uh, the head of the PTA. She was in school daily doing her volunteer services. Influential parent. Influential, but very nice parent from what I hear. I didn't know her personally. A right. uh, 37, 38-year-old woman who uh, was in school on a Friday feeling well, serving the kids lunch. Uh, on Sunday, she had passed away very suddenly from acute uh, meningococcemia, which is the infection that we now immunize for at age 11 and 16. Uh, And there was a very, very stressful, very difficult few days. The health department worked closely with the school involved because potentially hundreds of kids were exposed uh, by a parent. This was in Flatbush? This was in In in, the heart of the Jewish community. community. Uh, Baruch Hashem and the kids who were exposed Mm -hmm. in the 11 plus age group, meaning the children who should have had that vaccine, uh, there was virtually 100% compliance with the vaccine in the school with that particular infection. There were no secondary cases of meningococcemia. The point is that there are many of these diseases that can walk into a school where hundreds of kids are. Now, I want to point out what you often hear from the anti-vaccine groups with the misinformation is because of herd immunity, it doesn't matter if they don't get immunized. Right. Well, you know who else lives in those schools and attends those schools? Children who are being treated for uh, cancers, right. children who are being treated for autoimmune diseases who are on immunosuppressive therapies. In this school where the exposure occurred, I had a child who, was potent, who actually was exposed uh, or potentially exposed through a sibling uh, who is being treated for cancer currently, for a very serious cancer, and is immunosuppressed. And I had to work closely with the child's uh, cancer physicians, oncologists, to make sure that we did the right thing. Now, imagine if we had these exposures 8, 10, 12 times a year, uh, and we, had a, we couldn't protect those children. We couldn't protect the pregnant teachers in the school if we didn't have policies in place. The misinformation mill about vaccines is ridiculous. I'm going to tell you a statement which I feel extremely strongly about, and I think every physician with gray hairs would agree. The greatest miracle of modern medicine is vaccinations. When I was a resident and a young physician, uh, we didn't have vaccinations for meningitis, for hemophilus influenza, for example. It was a weekly infection we used to see in the hospital where I trained children who showed up with bacterial meningitis, babies, 
who left the hospital either unfortunately didn't survive or they were blind or deaf or mentally retarded as a result of the damage to their neurological system, to their central nervous system, their brain. Today, it's virtually a, a distant memory. The young doctors of today don't see meningitis for the most part. So I'm not that old. I'm 57. I'm going on 57 years old, and I've seen this disease virtually eradicated because of vaccination, because of that vaccine in 1989, 1990, when it was introduced. So this misinformation mill about vaccinations is going to harm Jewish children. It's already harming the Jewish world. And we need to have a stance about this. It is not a decision that should be made by anybody other than the physicians and the parents that work with them. Including, including, and I, I excuse me for emphasizing this, but I feel I have to, including rabbinic leaders. They should defer yes, to listen, those, who, those who know what they're talking about. Das Torah is a part of all of our lives. I mean, we I don't live a day where I don't seek Das Torah. I think you're in the same category. And most people who are listening are in that category. However, uh, there's never been a point in history where Das Torah has superseded medical advice. Uh, I work with uh, one of the Rabbanim, Rav Gavriel Tzinner, the Nite Gavriel. He, he's, he's very interested in medical halacha. Uh, every Yom Kippur, every Yom Kippur, he has physicians who sit with him during call-in hours where people call him with questions about fasting. I want you to know every Rav who calls in, uh, or people who call in saying their Rav asked me to call, emphasizes the Rav wanted the doctor's opinion on whether this individual should fast or could fast. All Rabbanim seek out medical direction when deciding on Psach Halacha. That is where it all starts for the Rabbanim, just as the doctors seek out Das Torah when trying to make decisions about their own lives. Because they recognize that you're doing this all day and all night, and Absolutely. you're more familiar than they are Absolutely. with it. Absolutely. And, and I think, to a certain degree, the anti-vaccine group has misused that part of the argument. And you know what? It's fine. They can do what they want, but they cannot impact negatively the health of other children. If they choose to deprive their children of vaccinations, that's their business right. and we can't force it. But we certainly can exclude them from schools where they will expose susceptible people, pregnant women, children who are immune suppressed, children who can't afford to ever be exposed to one of those diseases. Uh, you you summed this up so well, and I thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank you for bringing it up. I uh, I don't. I never like bringing controversy into this studio, but right, you know right, what? It's right. all about education, hundred percent, and very important. And and I will go to my grave knowing that on this issue, uh, physicians and pediatricians in particular have saved tens of thousands of lives by taking these stances. Uh, right now, uh, I I can't tell you what's going on nationally with certain areas of the country, like in Los Angeles, where they have a large number of anti-vaccine individuals, Santa Monica County, the number of whooping cough cases. There's a hepatitis A outbreak in San Diego right now. Uh, these diseases are out there. It's just a matter of getting into the community if we let our guard down. I remind you that uh, the race for courage, the next one, is uh, happening at the Phoenix Marathon the weekend of the 11th of January. You're all invited to participate, and as we've mentioned Dr. D, Dr. Stuart Ditchick, and Avi Davidson are together. You'll find them on the sponsor page. Sponsor their team, sponsor another racer, another runner, and to make this a successful event for Kids of Courage. The following weekend, they're in Massachusetts for their big ski trip. Everyone's invited, including anybody out there who'd like to sponsor the event. Just go to kidsoc.org, kidsoc.org. Dr. Ditchick. Can I just add sure. one more thing? Now, for those of you who are listening who know of uh, a child or a young adult who might benefit from our program, please contact the organization through the website kidsoc.org. Uh, we can't entertain every application because certain kids are appropriate for the program, right. certain not. But please, if you know of kids in your community who need our help, send them our way. I don't know if you could answer this question in our last minute, but let's try. The book you wrote years ago is called Healthy Child, Whole Child. Healthy Child, Whole Child. I'm just curious because this is the way life goes. How many years ago was that? 2000, the first issue came out in uh, 2000. The second edition came out in 2007. So 17 years later, or 10 years later, whatever the case is, is there anything about that book you would change or a general stance on a general topic that you would approach a bit differently because it's not 2017? Yeah, I, I think natural medicine, alternative therapies, as they're called, there's been a lot of review and, and uh, introspection. And I think certain therapies we have to be very careful about, the use of certain supplements 
we now know are not safe, uh, whereas one time we thought they were generally safe. Mm. Uh, so supplements and vitamins in particular, you have to have more. We, we always took a cautious approach, right. but it's even more you were cautious like, You were now. like, uh, how do we put we it? We were like middle of the road. You were moderate. Right. You're At this point, I would say I'm slightly right of the middle right. because of the overuse and overabuse of certain vitamins and, and because of genes and what we're learning about how genes turn on and turn off. Even vitamin supplements, you have to be careful about when you're giving them to children. So we're much more cautious now than we but were. But I, I can still take my ginger, kyolic, and zinc, right? That Under, I can still but, do. Yeah, absolutely. That you're not discouraging. But, no, but you have to. If you're going for surgery, you better come off some of those supplements a week to 10 days before surgery so you don't bleed a lot. Even the ones I just mentioned? Even though a kyolic in particular, garlic, yes. It can make you bleed uh, during surgery or postoperatively. So uh, you need, and by the way, most preoperative uh, uh, forms now that parents get right. or that adults get before they go in for surgery. Uh, it says on the form, please stop certain supplements a week to 10 days before surgery because we've learned from it. Oh, boy. Off, yeah. the, off the air, I'll tell you how I handled my most recent foot surgeries. <laughs> You're going to slap me silly. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Stewart, did If I could reach you. <laughs> <laughs> An honor to have you here. I can't wait to see you in Phoenix. Yes, we're looking forward. That's we're right. That's right. And we're going to walk that 13 and a half together. We certainly, certainly the, first fir- the first one. Well, definitely well, the first excuse one. me. We're going to run the 13 and a half. <laughs> I, I would By the you. way, there's always Uber. There is always Uber. I am telling you, I am with you for at least one mile. At least one mile. You know mile. what the problem with Uber is? We what? discovered with Avi, you can't put a wheelchair in an Uber <laughs> cab. <laughs> I'll bring cables to attach it to the top. We're walking. Any, We're st- anything not to walk. <laughs> hey, Avi, get with the plan, please. I'm begging you. Dr. Ditchick, thank you so much. And God bless Jerusalem on this great day. Yes, very exciting. More coming up. It is a very special Wednesday edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Dr. Stuart Ditchick. Recently took place on JM and the AM here on the Nahum Siegel Network. JM Rewind will wrap things up with some great music. We're back next week starting at 9 a.m. Tuesday morning. Make sure to join us then as we look back at some of the great interviews from JM and the AM right here on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network.
Hey. 